Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to another episode of the Kick and Cover podcast. Um, I ha- as I was telling our guest, I have not done one of those in a whoo a, a long little bit. But uh, since I got a special teams coach here today, or somebody who's fluent in special teams, um, I figured I would bring it back. Uh, coach Joel Matthews is uh, the new DC slash assistant coach at Excelsior Springs High School out there in Missouri, uh, by the Kansas City uh, border. There, um, Coach, how you doing? Doing well, thank you. No problem. Um, kind of, I mean, before we get into some of the special team stuff we're going to talk today, how did you um, end up as an assistant at Excelsior? Um, so kind of a long roundabout story, but uh, ended up uh, <laughs> lost a uh, state title game and got let go as an OC at my previous school. So ended up at my current one right there. Um, so a little bit about with uh, my background in general. Uh, I'm like a lot of guys that uh, ended up as kickers and punters. I played soccer all growing up, had a high school coach who showed a little bit of interest in uh, getting soccer guys out for football. So um, did that, then uh, punted at Northwest Missouri State uh, when Mel Churchmill was there. Missed out on some of those national titles that they had, though, um, but <laughs> still had still had a great run of it there. And then um, um, met my wife when I was at school, and she was from the Kansas City area. So that's how I got uh, down here. Um, haven't been able to break away, uh, which it's fine. Um, and then, uh, like I said, I've been coaching here in the area for 18 years and um, I've just been looking to help kickers and punters in the area uh, grow the game when I can, where I can. Good. Now, now, uh, kind of talk about that. Like, I mean, we, we, we talked a little bit about some, some topics and we'll hit on a couple of them. Um, I mean, I'm not going to ask you for the fundamentals of kicking and punting. I have other videos on that and people can look that stuff up pretty easy, but I'll, I do, I do want to ask you and I'll kind of break down each of the three phases, like just issues you see typically that need fixed. Like obviously the head down thing is always the, the, <laughs> that's default, the go-to <laughs> the, the, the go-to default comment. Like let, let's mm-hmm. start with like field goals and extra points. What are like the common issues um, you see with kickers in that realm? Um, I think some of it, it depends on the kicker because you get like, you know, at the high school level, you get a, a wide range of abilities and what guys can do for some guys. The thing that needs fixed is they just need, they need consistent rhythm with their steps. You know, it's the, you know, the, the jab step, the drive step, and then planting. Um, some of them are just so inconsistent with that. Um, some of that comes down to the snaps. You get the snaps taken care of. Those guys can be consistent with their steps. I would say the biggest issue that I see um, with guys and their consistency is their initial step. Um, a lot of guys, when they go to kick, um, their steps aren't consistent and they will, they'll step at the ball with that first step. So if you're a right-footed kicker, a lot of guys, when they take that jab step with the left, 
they're stepping at the ball. And so when you step at the ball, what that ends up doing is it puts your plant foot in a wonky position. Sometimes your plant foot's going to be too tight to the ball. And so when you come through and swing, um, you can't get your hips through. And so you might try and you might come around the outside of the ball and push it to the left. Other times your hips, um, they can't, they can't swing through, they stay open and you push it to the right. So um, the thing that I always look for and I work for, I work with my guys first is that initial jab step, you have to go at the plant foot spot. So you have to understand where your plant foot will be and then you step at that spot. And when you step there, that allows your leg to swing naturally and your hips to be on target when you come through and make contact with the ball. So, um, and that's something too, um, even as a coach, if you're not very familiar with kicking and how it works, that's a, that's a simple thing to look for. Just look at that first guy's, look at that guy's first step. And if he's going at the ball, it's probably a good bet. It ain't going to go through. And so you can simply tell them, Hey, go to the plant foot spot. And then the next question that I often get is, well, where is the plant foot spot? How do I know that? So for a typical high school kid, most high school kids will be kicking off uh, a two inch block or a one inch block. Um, there's not a lot of, not too many guys, especially in my area and at my level that kick off the ground in high school. So if you're kicking off a, a two inch block, then your plant foot. So if you can, you know, imagine where your foot's at, where your big toe joins the actual foot, that giant knuckle right there, that part of your foot should be even with the, with the ball. When you go to plant your foot off a two inch block, if you're kicking off a one inch block, you scoot your foot further up and the block will be even with your midfoot. And then to find the distance from the ball. So imagine like you've got your block here, you take your foot and you, uh, your plant foot spot is about one foot length away from where the block is. And that's about, that's a good starting point for most guys. So that's the spot that people want to step at. So um, as just a, as a coach that doesn't have, you don't have any background in kicking if you can tell your guys hey approach the plant foot spot and then you watch where their plant foot lands then like just even those two little things right there are going to be able to clear up a lot of the consistency issues and get guys striking the ball fairly well okay let's continue from there what what about kickoff kicking i to me that's the place where especially to get distance, but obviously you need height with it too for your covers team. Mm -hmm. Like that's, the, I think that's the area that I've seen high schools struggle the most with is the kick is kickoffing portion. That's why I, partially, I think you see a lot of schools do either crap ton of squib kicks or mm -hmm. the onside theory. So what, what do you, what do you commonly see as an issue there? Um, I see where I'm at with what I, what I get to work with is I don't have guys that can consistently put it in the, in the end zone. So we fall into that. You know, I teach a lot of squib kicks, sometimes the sky kicks, those types of things. But if you have a guy that uh, you feel can develop into that and that uh, you really want to work with that one, once again, like going towards the plant foot spot, making sure the plant foot's in the right spot on contact is huge. And then the other thing with kickoffs, it's about speed. You want to get as much speed to the ball as you can. So the faster you can swing your leg, the further the ball is going to go. And that's that's where that speed to the ball, it's it's essentially like after the first couple of steps, it's basically a sprint to the ball, maybe like a five-yard, six-yard acceleration to the ball. Um, and then in order to transfer that speed, not just to the ball, but get it through the ball, 
that's where we want to add the hurdle technique. Um, if you watch college guys, NFL guys, when they do kickoffs, they swing that leg violently through, and then it almost looks like they're about ready to stumble or fall on their face. Um, and that's that's because they're bringing that momentum through the ball, and then their their plant their plant foot is going to hurdle. So um, I'm assuming most coaches have, have seen a, a track race where guys are running over hurdles, and that trail leg, you know, when they they come over the bar, it, it you know it's it's parallel and then comes down. That's essentially what you want to do on that kickoff. You want to swing your kicking leg through, and then your plant leg, in order to bring all that momentum through the ball, is going to hurdle, is going to come over an imaginary hurdle, and you keep that momentum going forward. Okay. Not perfect, Coach. And, and then, the, obviously, the last of the three the three kicking phases, which I'd argue is pro- – kick. I mean, kickoff is important, I'm not, and, and extra point is, but I'd argue punting is probably the most important of the three, in my personal opinion, but – um, what about punting? Like that, because I, I mean, we've struggled the past two years consistently finding a decent punter and teaching it. I mean, what are your experiences on areas where to improve? Um, with punting, a lot of it it starts with uh, for any at any level, um, NFL, college, high school, all the, it's in the drop. It's when that where the ball is in your hands, and then what happens when it leaves your hands. And getting guys to be able to be consistent with that, that's going to lead to it, the ball coming off your foot consistently and getting the types of punts that you want. So I um, wish I had a football here with me. Um, when we, when I work with guys and we, we teach them, what we're looking for is when you, when you have that ball, you want it out away from your body. You don't want to, like, yes, you have to be able to use your elbows as kind of shock absorbers to catch the snap. So we don't want it just smacking off our hands but then the ball has to get out away from your body Um, because what's happening with that is if the ball's not away from your body, when you go to drop it out of your hand, then it's not going to get to your foot. You'll probably end up kicking it off your ankle, uh, shaking it, shanking it. And that's not going to be what we want. So we want to get that ball away from the body that the arm is almost totally extended. There's just going to be a little bit of give in that elbow. Um, When we hold the ball. So for me, I'm right footed. Uh, but I'm left-handed, which is funny. Um, but you hold hold the ball. Some guys will hold it more with their hand on the side, hand underneath. Uh, for that one, I've always been, if you're comfortable with it and it works for you, I'm not going to tweak it very much. Uh, we're just going to go with what you've got there. So um, you'll have your hand there on the ball. And then as uh, as you're taking as you're taking your your plant step, the guide hand's going to come off. And then simply all you do and the way I teach it is you just open up your hand like you're going to go shake somebody's hand. So like if you've ever you know met somebody, you know, like you extend your hand, you open it to shake it. That's all the drop is when it comes out of the hand right there. Um, and when the football drops, we want it level. Um, so as a coach, if you're watching it, if that when it comes out of their hand, if the nose drops, if the nose is up, those are issues. We want it straight level. So it should be able to stay level as it hits the ground. The nose is going to be slightly in, just a little bit. It's not going to be, whenever it comes out of your hand, it'll automatically just turn in a little bit. But if it's too far in or too far out, that's where we're going to have issues as well. So as a coach, if you're watching the drop, you should see it level and you should see it with the nose just turned ever so slightly in. Um, and what that does actually is uh, it allows when the ball comes off your foot, 
it allows it to start spiraling and look like a like an actual throw and pass. Um, so with that, just getting guys to to drop the ball consistently and uh, point the toe. Like those, those two things, if you can work the drop and point your toe, um, that'll get you a long ways, especially if you're if you're really struggling. Now, now you are obviously, and we we kind of talked a little bit that you're you're a big shield punt person. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, first, I'll ask you why the shield punt. Why why is that your preferred method, especially at the high school level? Um, so let's start there. So uh, we actually at my old school, um, I ran this punt for about gosh, what was it? About nine seasons, nine, 10 seasons. And uh, we used to do like the typical NFL spread punt, you know, where snapper has to be in the protection. Uh, we got to a state title game in 09 and we gave up a couple of giant uh, punt returns that really hurt us in that game. I think we ended up losing 31 to 14. Um, and two of those scores were set up by some pretty long punt returns where the only people in the picture when the guy caught it were our two gunners. Um, so at that point, we, we realized something has to change. And this was when that shield punt was just kind of becoming a thing. University of Missouri was doing it. So we were fortunate enough to be able to go down and, and learn from them. And the big thing for us was to be able to get more guys into coverage. Um, and also, we weren't sure that the snapper that we had coming up the coming year was going to be able to snap and block effectively, too. He was a great snapper, but then you throw in the blocking, and it was going to be a little bit of an issue. So that's why we ended up going to the shield punt. Okay. And so, like, let's, let's talk a little bit more. But uh, there, I've seen multiple ways of how to teach it. Like, some people use a zone scheme. Some people use a count scheme. Some people count inside out. Some people count outside in. Like, everybody's got a different method on, mm-hmm. I think, how they approach it um, and from how they approach personnel. Uh, how do you approach – uh, the protection aspect and your personnel for it? Um, I think we're a little bit different than most people um, in that I we wanted to find a way to get our, our fastest and best tacklers out on the field. One of the things I disliked with the initial shield was having the big O-lineman, D-lineman type in the shield like that. It's like, okay, we want coverage, but yet I got three guys that I would never otherwise have in coverage out there. So we wanted to find a way to get away from that. Um, and we also wanted to find a way to make things easy for our dudes too. Like we have always been along the lines of the, if you can keep it simple, then your guys don't have to think and they can just play. Um, so what we do with our, we actually had two punts. We had just a regular middle punt and we had a rugby punt. So um, we're always snapper and then three dudes on each side of the snapper and then three in the shield. So if we were rolling to the right and the right side, what they do, they don't even have to count. And this is the beauty of things is it is a, it's you're blocking down and you're blocking down on the guy, the guy in your gap to head up. So if there's no guy in your gap, then you can block head up. If there is a guy in your gap, then you're blocking him. If you got two guys in your gap, you're blocking the guy closest to you. And we called it a pinball technique um, where you're basically trying to, block that guy and push him or pinball him into the other one to just knock him off balance. Um, and it was a, it was a three-step technique. So if, if I'm on that right side, then my first step is with my left foot. I'm flat down the line by my second step. I'm probably making contact. And then on my third step, I'm extending and I'm pushing as violently and hard as I can sticking that foot in the ground and releasing into coverage. 
So all we were looking for on those down blocks was just enough to knock the guy off balance. So that way he doesn't get a free run at the shield. On the back side of it, those guys are all ripping and running. So now you're going to try and rip across the guy furthest from you in your gap. So your first step is going to be with that right foot and it probably end up bubbling back a little bit. And then second foot, we're basically turning the shoulders. And then third step, we're taking that inside arm and we're ripping through as many people as we can. My shield in the back, they're not numbering either. Um, I called them a snowplow. So the three of them, once the snap happens, they're getting shoulder to shoulder. And what they're doing is they're moving as one. They're basically like one snowplow that's moving out to the out to the guard. That's kind of their aiming point, the outside foot of the guard. Move that way and slightly downhill as you're going. And then their number one job, don't get split. So you're protecting the inside seams um, is the key thing right there. And then the, the punter, as he gets it, he's going to catch, step once with the right, and then he's on his fourth step coming downhill, balls out. Well, I, two things there. What, what, typically, I mean, do you have a set? Um, obviously, you mentioned step stairs, but time. Like, that's always been my question with, like, a rugby shield is, is there's – obviously, some it's based off pressure. I, I get mm -hmm. that. But um, is there, like, like a standard old punt? You're, you have a snap-to-kick ratio that I, obviously to prevent getting it blocked. Do you mm -hmm. have that more of a rugby shield punt? No, um, we never – it's one of those things, to be honest with you, like I was, I was a punter in college and I had a feel like, I just had a feel for how, how fast things should be. And with the rugby punt, it's maybe just a touch slower, but not, not much at all. Um, and really like when you, when we practiced it, what we could tell um, if, if you have a dude that's able to come through the a gap on the backside um, then it's one of two things. Either that guy's not ripping across or we're a little bit too slow um, on things. But um, no, like I, I don't have like a like a snap to kick time that I, I went. It was more based off of feel. Um, and it it really it shouldn't be shouldn't be much slower than than what a normal punt operation is. Okay. I was curious. Now now you mentioned rugby punting there too. How mm -hmm. do you approach rugby punting? Because I've seen some schools that are really good at it, and then I've watched other coaches try to teach it, and they struggle teaching it. So how do you – one, what does it change for you in terms of – does it change anything for drop from when you drop base punting? And then two, how do you teach the rugby punt? Um, so what part of the reason why we really liked it too is because we didn't always have a dude that was comfortable sitting back there and dropping bombs. Um, so with this rugby punt, our big thing was if you put it out on the numbers, we're good. I don't, I literally don't care what it looks like. Like it can be one that barely skims over the top of the shield, goes 20 yards in the air and bounces for another 15. Fine by me. It did the job. It's out on the numbers. It can be one that you get a hold of it and it's 40 yards, 4.2 hang time, whatever. So I didn't worry too much about the drop as long as, as long as my guy is able to consistently put it on the numbers. The key thing with that, that I would watch for though, is their aim. So that last step when they, when they plant their left foot right before they kick, that left foot needs to be pointed where we want the ball to go. And so a lot of times what you see with some guys that struggle with the rugby punt, especially if they, you know, they're used to the drop back is that last step, they like to turn that foot inward 
and kind of square their body. And then they end up swinging across their, their body and sending the ball to the middle or wherever we don't want it. Cause like when we rugby, we're definitely trying to get it to, you know, a specific spot. Okay. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to talk about, um, you, I mean, you're, let's talk about how you teach coverage. I mean, you, you, you mentioned it when we talked, um, you called it net coverage. And I think I have mm-hmm. a good idea of what you're referring to, but explain if, if somebody, to, or just also to make sure our verbiage isn't off, but maybe somebody doesn't know what net coverage and uh, coverage is, what it actually is. Mm-hmm. So um, this one we got from uh, Coach Tabor, uh, who um, at the time he was the special teams coordinator for the Browns. He's a Kansas City native. He came back, he was doing a clinic. Um, so picked it up from him. It is uh, by far one of the easiest things that that we've had to to teach. Uh, something that kids understand. We get a lot of defensive kids on our special teams, and uh, the net coverage is basically about finding your fit. So you've got three guys on each side of the snapper. Those three guys are each a half of the net, um, and their job then is to come together as one net and squeeze the returner. So on, say on the right side, we got three guys there. Whoever's the first man down, he's heavy on the ball, meaning he's going to put his inside shoulder on the outside shoulder of the returner. The next guy is the force player. He's going to find his fit off of the heavy player, and he's going to be far enough back that um, that he can't get split, and he's going to be far enough outside that the guy can't turn the corner on him. So it's kind of like for for where those guys are, we don't teach like a set distance back or to the outside. It's an ability fit, meaning you can't let them you can't let them you know turn the corner on you and you can't get split. So you got to find where that zone is for you. And then our third guy down, he's our we call him contained. So it's heavy force contained. So the contained player finds his fit off the force player. So that's half the net. And then the other half is doing the same thing. And those two heavy players are squeezing the returner. And we want to force that returner to run laterally. Um, and so that's that's how we teach it. And when we break it down on film and you watch it, it's, it's an easy concept uh, to get the kids to understand on film and to even coach up on film and see where the breakdowns are. Because you can, you can clearly see you know, like, Hey, like you're obviously the second guy down. You see Johnny there in front of you. He's the heavy player. So you need to find your fit off of him. You know, you can't be stacked behind him because now if that guy goes laterally, he can definitely turn the corner on you. So it's, it is, it was something that it was, it was much easier to identify and break down on film. Cause sometimes like if you give kids assigned lanes to run through, yeah, you know, like what, so I gave a kid an assigned lane, but he wasn't there because he got held up. And now I have another kid who's, you know, supposed to be in a sign lane. Does he stay in his lane or does he feel for his buddy? You know, what's the message we're sending there with this one. It was simple. It's like, you see the, you see, you know, there's no force player. You're it. You got to fill it. You got to find it. Um, our shield guys, they were my net fixers. So my left shield and my right shield there, as they're coming down, they're looking for holes in the net and they're filling. Uh, my snapper, he was always hot to the ball. His only job in life was to get a great snap back to our punter. And anything he did after that was an absolute bonus. A lot of the times we were fortunate enough to have a guy that was athletic enough to be able to sprint down and be one of the first ones on the tackle. Um, the best, I need to go back and find this. Uh, but we had one year, my snapper, he had tweaked his knee uh, the week before. 
and I didn't, I didn't have a backup snapper. And I looked at him, <laughs> I looked at him on the Thursday walkthrough. I'm like, Hey, can you, can you just walk out there and snap? And like, after you snap, you can just stand there. Like I, I can I, can you at least, are you good to do that? He's like, yeah, I can snap. And so it's on film where he snaps and then he literally just stands on the line of scrimmage. And the guy who's over top of him is just standing next to him too. Like they're both like, uh, what do we do? And then we make the tackle and then he just walks off. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it was, that saved our bacon that game. Um, but, you know, I kind of point to that as a, as another reason we do it. Like the snapper, all he has to do is snap and anything else is a bonus. So um, I think it plays into a lot of high schools, you know, personnel's hands right there too. Okay. Um, well, just last thing I want to ask you, do you have any, I don't know, tips, tricks, anybody who teaches kicking, like I said, obviously not every school has somebody who's experienced kicking. I think that's a, that's a luxury. Um, mm -hmm. You get somebody who's kicked in college. Um, but do you have any tips or tricks for stuff, maybe a staff who doesn't have anybody with that experience? Um, I will put in a shameless plug for what I do here at this point. So um, my Twitter handle, it's Headcase Kicking. Um, we call it Headcase Kicking because, I mean, well, you know, you hear the mantra, kickers are headcases. Well, okay, let's embrace it. Let's live with it. Um, so I put stuff out on there about how coaches can help others, but there's also a website, headcasekicking.com, and we have um, available on-demand videos where it takes you through the basics of kicking field goals, the steps, the approach, um, how to make contact, what to listen for, what to look for on stuff, drills that you can do to correct things or to work on, you know, accuracy. Um, that's, that's a simple resource that can be used to, to just learn more about kicking in general. Um, I would say, you know, like beyond that, just learn some of the basics, find somebody who, find somebody who's successful, who's done it and ask them about things. Um, I think things that we hit on earlier, approaching the plant foot spot and like keying in on that, that would be probably the number one thing for both kickoffs and for field goals is fine. As far as finding consistency, um, it just don't, don't get intimidated by all the jargon that's out there with some of these guys too. Like there's, there's some great coaches out there. And I think you and I know this too, you know, being able to, being able to do something is not the same as being able to communicate something. And the best coaches are able to effectively communicate things in ways that people can understand them and apply them. So if you're going to go out and look for kicking resources or, or talk to people who've done it, find somebody who's a good communicator. Yeah. Well, coaches, his Twitter will be in the bio. Um, so make sure you give him a follow. If you got any questions, you can reach out to him that way. Um, like, share, and subscribe. Otherwise, that is another episode of the Kick and Cover podcast.